Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And we'll read today beginning at the very end of verse 16. Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now let's get the flow of the sentence here. Abraham, who is the father of us all, in the sight of God, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, what God? Well, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope, against hope, he believed. In order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your seed be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, it's been quite a while since we've been in Romans 4, and uh, I need to take just a little bit of time to review. So the first, first question I guess I could ask you is, what is the main theme of Romans 4? Justification by faith is the theme of Romans 4. And uh, the great exemplar of justification by faith is who? Abraham. Abraham. And so Paul takes a lot of time in Romans 4 to learn some lessons from Abraham about justification by faith. And Christians are those who follow in the steps of the faith of their father Abraham. And so the question immediately comes up, uh, what was Abraham's faith like? If I uh, am going to be a Christian, and if the way you know you're a Christian is that you, ha- you follow in the steps of the faith of your father Abraham, uh, what are the characteristics of Abraham's faith? Or to put it in a more general way, you could say, what are the characteristics of true biblical faith as opposed to superficial faith or temporary faith, the kind of faith that does not save? What are the characteristics of true biblical faith? What's the difference between true faith and mere wishful thinking? Or maybe what's called nowadays positive thinking. What's the difference between true faith and positive thinking? Well, to answer those questions, we began to look at verses 17 through 22, and we've seen thus far five characteristics of biblical faith. Some of these are very basic, but they're very important. The first characteristic of biblical faith is that it believes God. Abraham believed God. 
We don't just accept Jesus in the sense of accepting some little local deity of some kind, but when you really, truly accept Christ, when you believe on Christ, uh, you're believing on the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator of the universe, the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-wise One. And so faith believes, biblical faith believes God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And secondly, true biblical faith rests on and believes the promises of God. We're not saved by just faith in general, but we're saved specifically by faith in the promises of God. Faith that saves stakes everything on the truthfulness of what God has said. The true Christian is willing to risk his job and his family and his future and his life and his soul and his eternity on the truthfulness of what God has said. And uh, it happens all the time when you're dealing with true Christians. They're making decisions that just seem absolutely crazy in the eyes of the world. And the reason they're doing it is they're staking everything on the truthfulness of what God said. And it causes them to risk all. So true biblical faith rests on and believes the promises of God. Abraham believed God. What did he believe God? Believe what God had said to him, you see. Specifically, believe the promises of God. And then thirdly, we saw that biblical faith believes God specifically as the one who raises the dead and the one who calls those things which do not exist as existing. At the very center of biblical faith is the conviction that's unshakable, put into the heart by the Holy Spirit, that God raised Christ from the dead. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, that's so easy. It can be an eternity with God forever just by believing that God has raised Christ from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's so easy, but it's also so impossible. No one can say that Jesus is Lord from the heart except by the Holy Spirit. And no one can believe that God raised Christ from the dead in the way He's talking about here except by the Holy Spirit. But that's part of the essence of biblical faith. It believes God is the one who raises the dead. You ask any Christian, you say to any Christian, well, guess what? They found the bones of Jesus the other day. He knows immediately that's a lie because he knows that God raised Christ from the dead. That's a supernatural thing. And biblical faith not only believes God is the one who raises the dead, but it also believes God is the one who calls those things which do not exist as existing. That's the literal translation. God uh, spoke to Abram and he said, from now on your name's Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. He didn't have one child yet. He called those things which do not exist as if they already existed. And uh, we looked at this in terms of faith in general, saving faith in general. Uh, It believes God is the one who calls those things which do not exist as already existing. Uh, Hebrews 11, faith is the... um, assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen so it's the assurance of things hoped for what's coming and the conviction of things not seen well not just not seen now but not yet seen 
you're convinced that this is coming even though you haven't seen it yet. And uh, we saw the example not only of Abraham, but of ones like Joseph. Here he is dying, and he gives instruction concerning what they should do with his bones. He said, now there's a day coming when you're going to be leaving here. Make sure you take my bones with you. Well, what evidence did he have of that? He didn't have any evidence whatsoever except God had said that they were going to be coming out of there. You see, God calls those things which do not exist as if they already existed. And you can anchor your life on that and your future. So, um, faith believes God specifically as the one who raises the dead and as the one who calls the things which do not exist as existing. Fourth characteristic that we've seen of true biblical faith, it believes in spite of all appearances to the contrary. And that we saw in verse 18. Against hope, he believed. True biblical faith believes in spite of all appearances to the contrary. When Abraham looked at the circumstances surrounding him outwardly, it was absurd to think that he was ever going to have a child. It was utterly against hope. But faith is not based on probabilities. It's based on the truthfulness and the power of God. And that's a different thing. Fifth characteristic we saw of true biblical faith is that it is always characterized by hope. Verse 18, in hope he believed. His faith was characterized by hope. And we just have barely touched on this. Lord willing, we'll get to it when we get to uh, chapter 5. But hope in the Bible is not this idea of, well, I hope so. Hope in the Bible is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast. It does not disappoint. It's a powerful thing. And what hope is in the Word of God, hope is confident, joyful expectation, looking forward to something that you know is coming, but you don't have it yet. Now faith, biblical faith, is characterized by hope. There is that springing up in the heart, that confidence of something that's coming. Uh, As Christians, we have the hope of eternal life. We have a confident expectation that we're not going to go to hell, but that we're going to be with God forever. Well, Lord willing, today then I'd like for us to look at three more characteristics of true biblical faith. And as we go along, I hope that we're going to see more and more how supernatural saving faith or biblical faith is. It's just beyond our power to produce or procure or in any way come up with biblical faith. We can't do it. You can grit your teeth harder and squint your eyes harder and try to believe harder, but you cannot produce faith. That's a gift of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples come to the Lord and they say, Lord, increase our faith. Well, increase it yourself. You know, just produce more of it. Well, you can't do that. It's a supernatural thing. And I think we'll see this more as we go along. But first characteristic we want to look at today is this. Biblical faith faces reality. Verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now there's a 
textual problem here because some Greek manuscripts have the word not in there. He did not contemplate his own body. He considered not his own body now dead. And you think, well, that's just exactly the opposite. But actually, um, when you think about it the right way, both of these are true. It's kind of amazing. Both statements are true. But I think that the uh, the actual text uh, the, that the best manuscripts support uh, is leaving out the word not. And the reason I think that, I think that the Bible itself agrees with this. Why do I say that? Well, for this reason. Abraham did contemplate his own body, and he did contemplate Sarah's body. How do we know that? Well, Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? There is contemplating his own body now dead. And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? See, he was well aware that he was too old, and he was well aware that Sarah was too old, and he looked squarely at the fact and acknowledged it and faced it, and uh, at the same time still did not grow weak in faith. That's the amazing thing. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because in our day, we live in a day when some people define faith in terms of positive confession. And what that is, it goes something like this, if you haven't been around it. <clears throat> what it is, is the fact is that you're sick. But you don't, you don't dare say that. In fact, don't even think about that. If you confess that you're sick, if you say I'm sick, that'll cause you, I mean, that'll create the reality of being sick. Have you ever heard anything like this? That's the, that's the teaching of positive confession. And so um, what you're supposed to do is to say, I'm not sick, I'm well. Thank you, Lord, that I'm well, that I'm healed. Now, this is not some theoretical thing. Um, I remember Jim visited a fellow in the hospital one time uh, who believed like this, and he said, thank the Lord with me that I'm healed. Well, Jim refuse to do it because of what it is it's not biblical thank the lord with me that i'm healed well, the fellow was dead in a short time what is that that's that's a lie you see that's not biblical faith there's something wrong in the teaching there <clears throat> thank the lord with me that i'm healed um christian science so-called is actually very similar to this Christian science says that sickness and these things are an illusion. And so you, you have a positive mindset. You confess, basically, it's sim very similar. You confess that this is not the case. <clears throat> it's all an illusion. Um, Donald Barnhouse was a preacher years ago, and uh, he told, tells a story about when he was a young boy. He says, one of my customers was a little woman who was greatly deformed. Some malady of the spine had bent her low so that she was only about four feet ten inches tall. One day the woman remarked upon my increasing height, and I, in a boyish, fumbling way, started to say some word of sympathy for her in her stunted condition. To my amazement, she looked up at me and said, you must not be deceived by outward illusions. 
What you see is an error of mortal mind. I am as straight as you are, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with me at all. Now, that's what we're talking about. That's the kind of teaching, really, that has... And it's amazing. This keeps surfacing, isn't it? It's like the devil's counterfeit for true faith. I usually don't tell uh, religious-type jokes, but I do. this one here has a very good point. Uh, The story goes that the little girl uh, went to the Christian science meeting, and uh, they said, where's your grandmother? And uh, she said, well, she's sick. They said, no, she thinks she's sick. And so the same thing happens two or three times, and they keep correcting her, and finally one day she comes without her grandmother, and they said, where's your grandmother? The little girl says, she thinks she's dead. (laughs) Now, I tell that because death gets you to reality, doesn't it? It brings you to reality. And uh, you can go out and say all these things about mind over matter, but the fact is, is once you're dead, it doesn't work anymore. Um, There was a story of an old black caretaker who was uh, taking care of the cemetery, and he came to a tombstone that says, not dead, but sleeping. And he looked at it and scratched his head, and he said, he ain't fooling nobody but himself. And that's, that's what we're saying, that faith is faith faces reality. It's not some kind of deal where you shut your eyes to reality and pretend. Um, in other words, biblical faith is not escapism. It's not something that refuses to face the facts. It's not gullible or irrational. In other words, all the evidence says the opposite, but you just close your eyes and pretend. That's not what it is. There was a Sunday school boy that was asked, what is faith? And he he says, well, faith is believing something that you know isn't true. That's not a biblical idea of faith, is it? (laughs) What is it when you believe something on insufficient evidence? What's that called? That's called superstition. If you believe something, if we believe the Bible on insufficient evidence, that's nothing but superstition. That's not the biblical view of faith. The problem with weak faith is not that it faces the facts. That's not the problem with weak faith. The problem with weak faith is it doesn't face enough facts. Now think of Peter out on the water. Here he is walking on the water, and he's looking at the winds and the waves. Those things are facts. That's reality. Now, here's the thing to do, Peter. Close your eyes and confess that those winds, <laughs> that, that wind and waves are not there. Just confess they're not there. Well, he would have been on the bottom right away, wouldn't he? The problem is not that he acknowledged the reality of the winds and the waves, but he didn't He didn't look at enough facts. You look at the wind, you look at the waves, but you also look at the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is right there walking on top of the water. Now that's what the situation was with Abraham. We said earlier that uh, faith believes in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. Well, yes, but all the evidence in terms of outward evidence. 
And when Abraham looked at the outward circumstances, it said there's no way you're going to have a child. But that's not all there was in Abraham's life. He also knew God. And he had a promise from the infinite creator of the universe who never lies that he was going to have a son. That changes the picture totally. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That was the thing that God used to strengthen Abraham's faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, Wesley says, Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone. Well, actually, you say it, it sees God and looks to Him alone. Laughs at impossibilities and cries, It shall be done. I think I mentioned maybe last time or one other time of. Uh, Dick's message on David and Goliath. David goes out here and compares himself to Goliath. He's in trouble. But the thing is, he wasn't comparing himself to Goliath. He was comparing Goliath to God. The size of Goliath to the size of God. So faith faces. Biblical faith faces reality, but it faces all of it. Second thing Second characteristic we want to look at today, biblical faith does not waver. Now look at this in verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Now what a comforting thing this is. When you say, I don't see how that's very comforting. Because if that's what saving faith is, if that's what biblical faith is, I must not have it because I waver all the time. Well, that's what I say. It's a very comforting statement because Abraham wavered too. Didn't he? Did he? Where did Abraham waver? When? What are some examples of his wavering? Let's turn back there to Genesis. If you go back to Genesis 12, verse 12, Abraham says to Sarah, It will come about when the Egyptians see you that they'll say this is his wife and they'll kill me. But they'll let you live. Please say that you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you that I may live on account of you. Now if you go down through here and circle the me's and the you's, it's pretty amazing. They'll see you and they'll kill me. And they'll let you live. Uh, say that you're my sister so that, so that it may go well with me because of you, that I may live on account of you. Uh, not a high point in Abraham's life, but the, the, thing to, the amazing thing here is that he already had a promise from God. And that happened earlier in chapter 12. So then going over to chapter 16, and verse 1, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian, an Egyptian maid, whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. 
Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. That's another low point in his life. Then in chapter 17, verses 17 and 18, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? Now he's facing the reality, but he was not facing it very very fully, was he? Because he's laughing about it. And verse 18, though, Abram, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Think of this prayer. The prayer from Abraham that Ishmael might... I mean, what if God had answered this and there had been no Isaac? And then in uh, chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, he falls into this thing after all that God has done for him. He falls into this thing of uh, lying to Abimelech. And verse two, Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, or said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister, and so on. So there's several things right there that are recorded that we can see that Abraham. Uh, did waver, or as the King James says, staggered in different ways. Now, why is this encouraging? Well, to me, it's encouraging because of this. God overlooks so many individual things and speaks well of him in light of what? The total overall picture. And that's the only way. That's how Paul could say that Abraham didn't waver. He was looking at the overall course of Abraham's life. Now, that ought to be encouraging to us. God does that with us too. <clears throat> the true Christian has all kinds of failures and shortcomings, but in the overall course of his life, his path is upward and Godward. And he does not waver. He does not stagger. Another way you could say this is, biblical faith proves itself over time as being genuine. Biblical faith proves itself over time as being genuine. If you look at individual events like the ones we looked at, you'd have to say Abraham wavered. He staggered. But if you look at the total walk, the total course of his life, he did not waver. He did not stagger. He kept right on, kept on going. He was there. He was coming back. He's back again, knocking on God's door. <clears throat> Biblical faith proves itself over time as being genuine. It not only believes one time at the start of the Christian life, but it continues to believe year in and year out. And I think that's what James is talking about in James chapter 2. Let me just read it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, when did he say that? Abraham believed God. When did he believe God? When was he justified? We've looked at that already in Romans 4. He was justified and he believed God back before he was ever circumcised. But James says all these years later, when he's offering his son on the altar... This statement is fulfilled and his faith is perfected. What's that mean? It just means that the real thing, real true saving faith keeps on. It keeps on year after year. It's sustained by God. 
The kind of faith that saves, I think this is what James is saying, the kind of faith that saves, living faith as opposed to dead faith, demonstrates itself over the total course of our lives. You know, it's a very encouraging thing that you're still here. Not just occupying a seat, I don't mean that, but I mean still wanting to go on with God, still wanting to grow in holiness, still loving the brethren, all those things. When a person continues and continues, he might have the real thing because that's the characteristic of saving faith. That's why it says, now you are saved if you continue. Sounds Now you are right now. If this is what you got's really real, it will be shown by continuance. That's part of the nature of saving faith. It doesn't stagger in the long run. It proves itself over time as being genuine. Well, third characteristic. Biblical faith actually grows stronger under trials. Now look at this in verse 20. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Genuine biblical faith actually grows stronger under trials. Now, I said this is a supernatural thing, and it is, because if you looked at it in the natural realm, You'd say, faith, when it comes under trials and testings, it causes your faith to fail and to grow weaker. That would be what would happen in the natural realm, the opposite. The more impossible the situation, you'd say, well, look, the more your faith's likely to fail. Isn't that amazing? The more impossible the situation, the stronger your faith will get. That's what it's saying here. He grew strong in faith. That's the nature of of saving faith. The more that faith was tested, the more impossible the situation, the more faith grows in the true Christian. When a true Christian encounters trials, he may stagger for a little while, but eventually he starts crying out to God more than he ever has. And so the roots go deeper. Instead of withering up and dying, the roots go deeper. And his faith gets stronger. Now Paul talks about that in the next chapter in verse 3. He says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Now doesn't that sound exactly the opposite? Suppose, some, suppose there started to be intense persecution. People started being killed and so on. Right here in this group bunch of people wouldn't make it to church on Sunday morning. You say persecution, tribulation, works falling away. Yeah, it does if you're not a real Christian. But for the true Christian, the persecution works perseverance. It actually makes the true Christian stronger. Isn't that amazing? Now that shows a supernatural nature of, of this faith. It's supernatural. It's not something you have on your own. It's something sustained by God. It didn't come from us, and it's not sustained ultimately by us. You remember 
Let me just give you one example. Here's Peter. And he's getting ready to encounter opposition, persecution, tribulation at the time when Christ is denied and crucified. And he stumbles for a time, but what happens? Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. I have gone to God to keep your faith from failing. Now the question is, in whose hands was Peter's faith? wasn't in his hands, it was in God's hands. And he says, I've stepped right past you and gone to the one who ultimately keeps your faith, and I've prayed and asked him to keep your faith from failing. God keeps our faith from failing. And not only that, he says, when you turn again, not if you turn again, when you turn again, you're going to be stronger than you were. Go out and help the others. Now, there's an example of it, you see. Faith, biblical faith, supernatural faith, God-given faith, grows stronger under opposition. Now, again, this is something that is done, which brought about in the heart by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that man has. There's no idea of turning your faith loose and all that kind of thing. What we just need is some faith. Jesus said, if you've got faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. And whoever has, to him more shall be given. And by the time it's all over, he shall have an abundance. That's what happened with Abraham, wasn't it? But whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. That kind of faith won't make it. When the sun comes up, it withers. Well, we're just continuing to look at some characteristics of Abraham's faith. Lord willing, we'll go on next time. I thought it might be good to close by singing this hymn of Wesley's, page 479 in the Redemption Hymnal. Let's stand on this one. <clears throat>